Jason, before we launch into this week's episode, um, we usually, you know, just a little bit of housekeeping here. Uh, we usually read comments about the previous movie the week after. Uh-huh. But, um, and then when we do these segments, you know, these in Alpha, something completely similar. Yeah. Um, we usually read them like when we come back from it, when we go back to the list. Yeah, I know how this works, Brendan. But I'm explaining to the listeners. No, they know. They know. But because we're doing this for, uh-huh. for quite a while, uh, we're just going to read the comments now before we launch into this week's episode. So, let's talk about these comments about the lady killers. Here we go! And for those of you not able to see me, I did a visual joke just now on an audio medium. Oh. Jason, we got some comments about the Lady Killers. We did. The 1955 film. Nice. Want to read our first one? I'll spare the obvious joke. Uh, Andrew Littlefield says, really good. Although, I wish Peter Sellers had more to do. He just about sums up our thoughts. Yeah, that was that was one of the major well, I mean, things. I, I guess about. if you ignore the really good part and replace it with kind of boring. And then you have my thoughts. <laughs> oh, shit. Oh, hot Jason, take. Jason is not let go of his hot take. <laughs> uh, Sharon Horwood. Regular commenter, friend of the show. Yeah, serial commenter. That's right. She murders message boards. And thank you for doing it in our name. <laughs> the the holy crusades That's of right. screen and country. <laughs> um, she says, I actually watched it last night. I'm assuming not last night as we're recording. Uh, the night before she posted this comment. Which is still pretty cool. Which I cannot find the date for. No. But I will look into it. We'll assume it was in the recent past. Okay. Well, you're on your own. I'm, that's a little dangerous. <laughs> I'm willing to go out on a limb. Uh, well, she really enjoyed it. Good. Alec Guinness was nearly unrecognizable and quite animalistic. Mm. His appearance seemed halfway between Jekyll and Hyde. Katie Johnson was such a lovely old woman. While I haven't seen the Coen Brothers version, I do see why they would want to remake it. In many ways, it's a predecessor to Fargo, complete with a variety of deaths and everything. Well, antecessor to Fargo, because mm. it did come afterwards. But we see what you're saying. No, oh, I, I think, guess the original is. I think I she means the original. Yeah, Fargo did not come up before <laughs> 1955, Jason. Ah, my apologies, Sharon. I'm an idiot. Moving on, we have a comment, another one. From what? One Robert James Cole. Oh, three names. And Bobby Jim Cole says, while I haven't seen the movie, a local theater company actually did the play version of this movie last year, and I had the privilege of seeing it. The actors involved were all phenomenal, and they even had a neat gimmick where they asked two women to join them on stage as extras in a particular scene. I wonder if they were the old ladies. Must have been. Hmm. Well, I haven't seen the movie. Wait, it wouldn't have been wild if they were two of the main characters? Yeah, it's like, oh, you, you, you. you. We need a Professor Marcus. We Which need lady? Professor can... and an old lady who wants to step up. <laughs> Halfway through the play. And while Bob Jim hasn't seen the movie, having seen the trailer, I can tell you at the very least, the play did a pretty, did get pretty close to the movie. And in some scenes that I was able to identify where specific scenes happened within the narrative. I think the only difference is that I don't imagine this movie used the language that was found in the play. A Russian character at one point tells his cohorts that someone, quote, gives me the penises. The joke being that he meant to say the willies. <laughs> I don't remember that in this movie. No, that was not in the movie, but that's a good joke. It is a good so joke. props to those people. I don't think it's in either movie, either version of the movie. No. Uh, Ryan Terry, two first names again. No, these, they're creeping out of the woodwork. <laughs> All these people. 
<laughs> he says, uh, love it. It's not necessarily la- laugh out loud funny, but it's got those little comic glances and deliveries that provide humor. Katie Johnson is perfect as Mrs. Wilberforce. Herbert Lom and Alec Guinness work off each other as well as Professor Marcus and Louis Harvey. And Danny Green's performance as One Round Lawson might be my favorite of the lot. Notice, yeah. no mention of Peter Sellers. Yeah. Rightfully so, because he does nothing. He does nothing. And then, you know what? That's I mean, he worked with what he was given, but you can only do so much when you're just a guy. I got to say, too, thank you very much, uh, Ryan Terry, for the comment. But I, I got to point out that something that makes me laugh is the verbature of saying... And the deliveries that provide humor. <laughs> just sounds very like... Ryan, are you an android? <laughs> I think you might be. Or British. Or British, Because that is a very British thing to say. Yes, would be. Yes, we'll be uh, delivering some, some glances and deliveries that provide humor. Surely we don't have any actual British listeners. Surely they would think we were as racist as uh, you come out. If, if you considered the British to be a race, which certainly I cannot. Oh, sp- spoiler alert. We definitely do have no. some British listeners. Oh, good, good. Awesome. Thanks. Thanks, folks. Uh, salute the queen for me when you see her. Thanks for letting us talk about your culture. Yeah, we, we really enjoy it. We're, we're, a bit, we're, we're Anglophiles, you might say. Mm. We want to have sex with Anglos. Um, like Anglo-Saxons? Uh, I mean, any kind of Anglo. A Saxon, uh, a Norman, uh, a Scot. Norman's you my really st- want to go wild, there's Irish. Norman's my stepdad's name, so we need to move on. Ah, uh, moving on. <laughs> Kenneth, my... Uh, uh, I think I had trouble with this last time. Kenneth McAlinden, McLinden, McAllenden, McAllenden. Kenny McAllenden says, big fan of this in particular and the Ealing comedies in general. My dad saw the Lavender Hill mob when he was in the U.S. Army stationed in Europe. Good place to see it. In the early 50s, and it made him a fan of British comedies. The Ealing comedies were something we bonded over when I started getting into older movies. That's nice. Yeah. We've seen a few Ealing comedies so far. The Lavender Hill Mob is another one with Alec Guinness that will be coming up at some point. See, now, conversely, my dad took me to see Jack, starring Robin Williams. Oh, I remember that film. Yeah. And um, what what non-problematic black comedian was in that movie, Jason? Was Bill Cosby in that movie? He sure was. Wow, it's been a long time since I've seen that movie. (laughs) I don't remember. Like, Bill Cosby had a supporting role in that movie? He sure did. Was he, like, his doctor? Uh, I believe he was the pudding inspector. See, because all I, oh, well, obviously, see, all I remember about that movie, literally the two scenes that I remember. Oh, I just thought, well, how horrible would that have aged if he oh, was yeah. his doctor and he was like prescribing medication? Yeah, it'll take this to make you feel like a kid again. <laughs> oh. uh, the only two scenes I remember that movie are the very end where he's super old, but he's like at his high school graduation and everybody's happy and sad. And the scene earlier in the movie where him and his, his also like 12 year old friend and he's like in his 40s visually he goes into a store to buy porn it's a very funny scene question though in jack Mm. was there ever a scene where he considered getting a girlfriend because that'd be weird that would be weird and i don't either way either way they play that it's weird see he he was just working on figuring out uh, the intricacies of how it all worked because he was just trying to get a hold of some porn so i don't think he was ready for anything beyond that but like i mean it would be weird it would be worse if it was a child obviously Mm. But mm. it'd still be weird if it was an adult. Well, you know what? Because he's supposed to be a child. We're going to talk about this movie and many more on our new podcast, The Jack Cast. Or J- Jacking in with Brian and Jason. Brian. Like, who's Brian? Brian's our other host. So uh, you're, you're, you're replacing <laughs> I'm replacing you with Brian. Fuck. <laughs> Which is... Uh, hey, yo, Jason. It's me, Brian, in the back. You need me for this new podcast? No, nah, you stay there, Brian. We'll be... Uh, what we're going to record after this. Okay, you let me know when you need me for jacking in. That's right. We'll jack in together, Brian. Chick, 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 chick. You're friends with that asshole? Yeah, yeah. Jesus Christ. He, he's nice once you get to know him. Okay. Um, Dana Bader... I assume relative of, of uh, famous actor Dietrich Bader? Yeah, uh, I believe so. Well, tell him to listen. 
Dana Beta says, this movie is on Bill Hader's 200 movies every comedy writer should watch. I want to look at that list. Um, definitely, definitely worth the watch. I feel like the humor is universal and still hits. Such a great movie. Good. I'm glad you enjoyed it. Diedrich Bader, of course, was in a remake of another uh, uh, series, if you'll remember, uh, 1994's The Beverly Hillbillies, which was also a movie my father took me to see in the theater. My dad took me to see bad movies in the theater. <laughs> um, I'll, I'll take the next one, Jason, because you had a couple of long ones there. Oh, I don't okay. put you under undue stress. Okay. Uh, our last comment is from Christopher Barry, and he says, I've seen several Ealing comedies, and for some reason, and this is for you, Jason, I picked mm. this for you, and for some reason, I hadn't caught this one until a couple of years ago, to my mind, few films in general, never mind Ealing comedies specifically, can come close to the perfection that is Kind Hearts and Coronets. I mean, I know you haven't seen is that, that on the list. Uh, it is. Um, I was aware that it was considered a classic, but I was a little underwhelmed. Maybe if I wasn't aware of it being held in such high esteem and I hadn't seen Kind Hearts first, I would have enjoyed it more. It's still a good film, but I prefer The Man in the White Suit or The Lavender Hill Mob if we're talking Ealing comedies. Alec Guinness's performance in The Man in the White Suit is superb. I do think that given his later career, some people forget what a great comic actor Alec Guinness was. Well, like, yeah, because if you think Alec Guinness, like, what, what did he do after Star Wars specifically? Like, Empire I, Strikes Back. Okay. And he was Return of the Jedi. Jedi. Uh, I think Phantom he, Menace. I can't remember. I don't think he was in Phantom he was Menace. Arca- I don't think he had returned technically to a Star Wars movie until episode nine. He was not in Return of the Jedi. That was Hayden Christensen, my uh, bad guys. Yeah. Hello, I'm Alec Guinness now. <laughs> I'm Hayden Christensen pretending. Well, I'm, I'm Alec Guinness. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, I, th- I think Alec Guinness played Hitler at one point, but I, I don't know if that was before or after Star Wars. The last 10 days of Hitler. It may have even been a TV movie. Oh. Is that the, the one that people keep memeing? No, that was the late, great Bruno Ganz, <laughs> who say, is fantastic in that movie. That's Alec Guinness. He looks different in it. I know we said it before, before folks, but I'm going to say it again. Go watch Downfall. If, if, if you can get past the meme scene, it is a fantastic film. The meme scene is good if you watch the oh, actual yeah, no, scene. In, in, in context of the movie, it is a fantastic scene. It's yeah. just funny that it's become a thing. And, and Well, it was a thing, and then it was super popular, and now it's kind of gone away again. So at some point, it's going to have to come back ironically. <laughs> All right, Jason, this is going to be a tough decision yeah. for you. Yeah. Um, so The Lady Killers is number 13 on the mm-hmm. BFI Top 100. We're going to compare it to number 13 on the AFI Top 100, the American Film Institute. All right, what do they got? This is going to be tough. I want you to think about it, okay? Mm-hmm. Number 13 on the AFI is a little-known independent film called Star Wars. Uh, Star Wars. Are you sure? Yes. I'm going to have to give it to The Lady Star Killers. Wars. I'm Star just, Wars. I'm kidding, of it's course. Star Wars. Don't even joke. It's... Obviously, Star Wars. It's yeah. got the legacy. If you even you know if you, what, I'll say it right now. Like, I, I don't know that Star Wars is like the greatest movie ever made. It's on these lists and it's very important and it's a blockbuster. But Star Wars is a better movie than The Lady Killers. Oh, wow, hot take. And I like Star Wars. I love Star, but but I. It's funny. I was a kid that Star Wars. The movies were were secondary really to me. I did see them and they they were cool. You were more into the lunchboxes. I was lunchboxes, thermoses, and uh, stickers. Mm. Uh, but actually, it was the novels. I read a lot of the novels and got super into the old uh, Legends canon uh, before they wiped it away unceremoniously in and 2012, ha- and rightfully so. And how excited were you when uh, the oranges started coming out with Star Wars stickers this year? Mm. <laughs> it's past year. Oh man, I, my oranges have never been more out of this world brendan wow Wow. on that note please enjoy this week's episode where we are talking about the rainbow and now something completely similar
A dinosaur story. 67 minutes long. Mm. At least it's a, it's, a, it's a quick death with that movie. I don't remember that movie. I don't remember it much either, but I know John Goodman's in it. He plays the big fat dinosaur. <laughs> what? Yeah. Weird casting. Mm. But that's not what we're here to talk about, Brendan. We talk about lots of things, but it's not We're Back, A Dinosaur Story. We're We're talking about British movies. Wait, that's not on the BFI Top 100? Surprisingly not. I checked. I double-checked. I triple-checked, and it was not there. Okay. But this is our special series, sub-series of the podcast for Screen and Country, colon, and now for something completely similar. Similar. Hashtag prequels, remakes, sequels, go. Keep hashtagging it. Yeah, hashtag it out there. Um, and what we do in this version of the podcast is we watch sequels, remakes, prequels, whatever other variants or related films to films we've already watched and uh, kind of compare them, talk about them, discuss them, see if maybe they, rather than uh, the their actual entry on the list, uh, is more deserving of the spot. Jason has taken charge this week. Let's yes, I'm in charge. <laughs> I'm well, a big man with a big plan. He's Jason and I'm Brendan and this is for Screen... And country. Yes. And then it, that is what we were doing. Yes, normally yeah. we look at the list, but we were taking quite a bit of a, an excursion here. Mm. Um, and we were talking about a film. A film. Which we'll describe a bit more in a bit. Yeah. But you can be assured that it is was in fact shot on <laughs> celluloid. But it is called The Rainbow With those comforting strains, mm-hmm. we open the film, The Rainbow. The Rainbow, which begins with a literal rainbow. And really goes hard on that rainbow theme for the first five minutes of this movie. So much so that I was shaking my head, being like, what have I fucking got myself into? I, ha- I got a real first minute of my left foot vibe. Yeah, yeah no, exactly. Like, like it opened and, and, and the rain on the on the window and then the way the rainbow title fades, it felt very TV movie production. Like yeah, I, and you were like, hold on to your seats, oh, boys. And then there's a little kid and there's a rainbow in the sky and it's like, what the fuck are we going for here? But for me, that didn't, this this was the worst part of the movie. Well, <laughs> this is, we should explain, this is a movie um, connected to a movie that, on the list, on yes. the BFI Top 100, called Women in Love, which was number 87 on the list. You may remember our episode about it. Yes, and you may remember my utter distaste for it, and Jason's pretty M- okay mild with it. Mild appreciation of it. Yeah. Um, so... It's a, yeah, so it, it, in the way it's kind of connected to that movie is, is kind of a prequel. It, yeah. It's based on D.H. Lawrence's book, The Rainbow, the Rainbow, which was a precursor to Women in Love. Yeah, and follows the uh, character of Ursula Brangwen. Brangwen, who uh, in the previous, or in Women in Love was played by... Glenda Jackson. No, Glenda played... No, Jenny Linden. Jenny Linden. Glenda yes. played uh, her sister Gundren, who we also see in this movie as, as a, a child. child. yes. And Glenda Jackson is in this movie playing the her mother, own mother. Playing her own mother, yeah. 
So that's um, fun. Good let's job, just, Ken Russell. Let's just uh, list through the cast here real quick. We've got Sammy Davis playing Ursula Brangwen. Not Junior, not the old man. No. Nope. Uh, it's a lady. A lady. A white lady, even. Paul McGann, who plays uh, a soldier named Anton Skrebensky. One of the doctors. He may have been the doctor that was on the uh, aborted Fox attempt at Doctor Who in the mid-90s, but I can't remember. They were allowed to have abortions in the mid-90s? Yeah, on Fox and when it came to British sci-fi imports, yes. Makes sense. Amanda Donahoe plays Winifred Inger, mm. teacher in the movie. She's, yes. By the way, she is gorgeous. Very much so. Uh, nice teeth. Real yeah. nice teeth. Yeah. We're soft features. Yeah, good smile. Uh, Christopher Gable plays Will Brangwen, uh, the father. Mm-hmm. Uh, David Hemmings plays Uncle Harry, or or Uncle Henry. I'm not really sure. Well, I think Harry is another accepted form for okay. like short because because in uh, doesn't don't they call him Harry and uh, Prince Harry and uh, and the Hendersons? Don't they call him Prince Harry and Henry the Fourth? Or I guess in uh, Henry the Fifth. Oh, Henry oh, the Fifth. Are you, yeah. Or yeah, 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 yeah. You're right. With with uh, Olivier, they called him yeah. Prince Harry, didn't they? But um, David Hemmings, Jason, you may remember him from a little film we did mm-hmm. called Blow Up. Oh, was he? He the... was the main character. Oh, oh, yeah. he's much older in this movie. Yeah, yes. <laughs> I well, guess this... it was 25 years later, but yeah, 20 20 years after this, I think. Or not 20 years after this. That would be weird. He would be a real... 10 years ago. Benjamin Button. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Jim Carter, our old friend Jim Carter, played yes. Mr. Harvey. Carson uh, himself. And then finally, last but not least, it's a small part, but I couldn't not write him down. Dudley Sutton plays a character called McAllister, or Mac. Hmm. The... the uh, the very uh, disgusting man who wants to draw Ursula's portrait. Oh, yes. Ooh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, but, Jason, you don't understand. As I bleed into you, as you bleed I in your wounds, I shall fill them with the salt from my tears yeah. because it is the way I show my love in beating you. Yeah, there's uh, th- that That itself might be the most like straight-up fucked-up moment of the movie. <laughs> it, it's weird that that whole thing happens by... The character of Winifred introducing Ursula to him, and then yes. she says, "Well, you got to learn through experience." I'm like, yeah. what, bitch? You're crazy. Yeah, Win- Winifred's a bit of a, a bit of a pickle. That one. She's a bit of a pickle. Yeah, you might say. <laughs> Jason, I want to take you on a journey. Sure. Um, because this movie took a long time to get made. Yeah. Uh, Ken Russell wrote the script for this movie in the late seventies. So not long after the original. Yeah. Um, he made this movie called Cloud of Glory for television at the time. I have no idea what that is. He did collaborate with his wife, Vivian Russell, because they're both credited as the writers of the film. Mm-hmm. And actually, now that I mentioned, now that we kind of get that, get that, you know, bring that fact forward, it kind of makes sense because this film seems a lot softer than Women in Love. Mm-hmm. Like a lot, like it's not as cruel towards women. <laughs> Maybe not as outright, but like the, yeah, there's, there's very few people in this movie, if any, that she uh, should or can trust. True. Like she does, she seems to kind of get uh, fucked over by everybody in some way at some point. But he collaborated with his wife Vivian Russell, and he felt that it would be a relatively easy film to finance because Women in Love had been a success, mm-hmm. much to my chagrin. <laughs> um, uh, Russell said he was uh, very well pleased with the script, and he said it was mainly due to Vivian's contribution. So he basically put the whole thing on his wife that she did most of the work. He was pretty optimistic about getting money. Uh, he said, "I was back on home ground in Lawrence Country. There was." N- <laughs> There was nude wrestling and stampeding animals, all that lovely scenery, and the usual horny miners. However, all of the major studios in Hollywood said no go. Nobody wanted to do it. Um, uh, Somebody somebody said, so David Putnam, I don't Mm. know if you know who David Putnam is, but he said he didn't want to do it because he thought 
the script was a downer and that the character of Ursula was a, quote, pain in the arse. Was he the guy that was responsible for the Canadian children's television show Putnam's Prairie Emporium? Yes, the very same. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, he said he had no luck selling it. In 1987, he said he had no luck raising funding. Um, but then he, so he started moving on to another project. However, he had a film named Gothic that became this like huge success on video. Halle Berry? Yes, the Gothica. Oh, okay. uh, Ken Russell's film, <laughs> 1986. Yes, when she was a child. Uh, and and they basically said uh, if he if Ken Russell could do a um, come up with a horror film for the studio Vestron that they would invest in this movie The Rainbow because horror is all the rage. Hmm. So we signed a three picture deal which included The Rainbow. I wish he did try to make The Rainbow as a horror movie. <laughs> that would be interesting. It almost is at times. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah the, really. <laughs> the movie was budgeted at two point five million pounds, hmm. uh, but they said. But they basically told him, like, drop a half a million. Oh, they were going to say they came in under budget. <laughs> <laughs> no. Uh, da, 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 da. Okay, so originally they had hoped Glenda Jackson would play the mother of one of the characters in Women in Love, but she was on Broadway at the time. Mm. So he offered the part to Julie Christie. Of course. Why wouldn't you? We haven't seen Julie Christie in quite a while. No. She turned it down, though. Mm. Russell wanted to work with Amanda Donahoe, too, who plays Winifred, but uh, Vestron Studios pressed for a name actor. They wanted either Kelly McGillis, Mariel Hemingway, and Teresa Russell, and they all turned it down. An actress from Dynasty named Catherine Oxenberg didn't, wanted to do it, but didn't want to appear nude, so that was uh, out of the question. Well, yeah. get, get out the door, honey! They eventually got this young actress named Sammy Davis, uh, who was the lead in another movie that Ken Russell did called Lair of the White Worm. Ooh, that's a good name. Yeah, it's a, I think it's the, the horror movie that he agreed to do. Yes. Uh, Charles Dance and Jeremy Irons turned down the role of her father. Mm. They went with Christopher Gable, who looks who reminds me of the dude from, um, it was in, uh, the Scottish guy in Four Weddings and a Funeral. Yes. You know I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It looks yeah. like him. Yeah. Okay, so here's a, here's a crazy cast thing that all, almost happened. Vestron Studios refused to greenlight the movie without names. They wanted some names in this movie. Mm. So, Vivian Russell, uh, Ken Russell's wife, suggested for Uncle Harry they could get Elton John. Oh, well, that would have been fun. Uh, he was sent a copy of the script. Elton John was all set to play Uncle Harry. <laughs> Uh, Glenn, Glenda Jackson was finally able to sign on, and then finally the studio was like, okay, okay, we'll finance it. Um, during the filming, however, Elton John bowed out for personal reasons. Ken Russell then offered the role to Alan Bates and Oliver Reed, and they both turned it down. <laughs> when finally, David Hemmings accepted the role. That would have been weird, though, if Oliver Reed had been the one playing the uncle. Yes. Yeah. It would have been real strange. It would have, it would have made some, some weird uh, uh, connections with the previous film. Yeah. Um, so the movie came out a few months after a British TV version of the novel, mm. uh, which had a bigger budget. So we're not going to we're not going to do that one too. Fair enough. Um, Sammy Davis had actually auditioned for that for mm. the TV version, but she got beaten out in, uh, by Imogene Stubbs, mm. who we've seen in some stuff. Uh, Sammy Davis said about Ken, about Ken Russell, Ken couldn't be normal, but he's the best director I ever worked with. Full of energy, a brilliant sense of humor, and very demonstrative. Not wordy, which I like, because I'm not a wordy person. The reason people think he probably think he's crazy is because of his films. He picks such odd subjects. Mm -hmm. She also said that up to that point in her career, she did not do nudity. Mm -hmm. But she said, fuck it. That's what this part needs. That's what this part's gonna get. Ken Russell deserves my nudity. <laughs> yes, <laughs> that's exactly what she said. So the rainbow. I wanted to get a little bit into that because this movie yeah. had a long journey to getting made. Oh yeah, but and, um, and, uh, and it's amazing that it did, especially especially in an era like 
now if that were to happen where it's like there's a TV version being made, there's no way they'd be like, oh, yeah, well, we can do it better. It's like, fuck that. We'll do something else. Yeah, it's like that time when they made two uh, – were they two two Jungle Book movies like real close together? That yeah. was weird. Well, trying yeah, and or uh, yeah, exactly. They're trying to write off. Didn't the, they try to do like that with like a Howard Hughes movie too? They thought I thought well, at one was point there was something wrong with the Aviator. They came out around the same time. That was like a biog. I thought they were gonna they were gonna make another Howard Hughes movie at the same time or well, something. Well, his story wasn't finished, I guess. In the yeah, Aviator, was, yeah, Martin Scorsese needs to make a sequel, right. a squeakquel. <laughs> Jason, you've got the blockbuster video box right there. Yeah. What does it say that this movie is about? Uh, uh, well, um... <laughs> Sorry, did I set you up? <laughs> a young girl explores herself and her life and is fucked over by just about everybody she comes into contact with. But she's also kind of a bitch, too, sometimes. But that doesn't excuse everybody treating her like shit. I'm really surprised they could write that on the Blockbuster yeah, they, video they, box. Yeah, they, they kept that box behind the curtain. <laughs> oh, wait, that's Which, which of course, is a lie because, as we all know, Blockbuster didn't have adult films. I was going to say, and also you're saying that this was in the porno section? <laughs> yeah, keep this in the porno section. <laughs> I mean, yes, there's nudity, but yeah. I don't know if it's hardcore pornography. <laughs> what version did you watch? Uh, uh, oh, I watched The Rain Below. Oh, damn. <laughs> yeah. With I, Dave- thought, I thought this, this is weird that this one was on the list, but, I mean, you know, you take advantage of these things. Weirdly enough, David Hemmings also in that movie. Oh, yeah, Rain Below. <laughs> Zing. Rain blow up. Yeah. So this movie, this movie. What what about this movie? This movie's all over the place. Yeah. It's it's, it's wild. It is. And, and as I understand, I didn't actually didn't read too much on the book. Uh, but I believe this is. Mostly, I read the entire thing. So. Good job. I believe, and you can confirm or deny this. This is <laughs> this movie is mostly the last bit of the book, like the last third of the book is kind of <laughs> where this movie. I'm joking. I have no yeah. idea. Uh, of course you are. Um, so yeah, it's basically about young Ursula who's going to school, high school, or the British equivalent. What do they call that? Like sixth form. She yeah, maybe. I, think I don't so. know. Oh, when she teaches later, she's teaching fifth form. Well, she's teaching. Yeah, she's teaching young kids though. So yeah. So but I think yeah, but I, she I, was taking her exams or owl levels or whatever the fuck British people take. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> just coming out hot right out of the gate. So yeah, it's better. But she's going to high school. She wants to be a teacher. Um, but she's living at home with her family, and her family doesn't want her to go because it's on the other side of London. And, ooh. But meanwhile, she's kind of like trying. Of course, being a young woman in 1900 or what? I guess 1899 is probably when this movie takes place. It, the expectation is that she has to get married. So of course, she's being shopped around to people, and she meets a young uh, artilleryman mm. from the army, young Anton, played by Paul McGann. And, you know, they, they kind of, they get friendly and they go to a ch- uh, church, which is being restored. And they sit there and they have a little kissy kiss. Um, and then God says no. And God says no. Because the, the church comes crumbling down. That's right. There are a lot of religious uh, symbolism in this movie. Yeah, and, and some discussion of, uh, of uh, making love in church and whether that's a sin or not. <laughs> Can we talk more about the opening scene, though, before we go any further? Sure. Like, I know we don't normally go in order anymore, but yeah. I would need we need to discuss the opening five minutes because this is yeah. the most ridiculous aspect of this movie. Like it is, it is five minutes of a young Ursula as as a toddler, basically running around, and there's rainbows everywhere. And her dad brings her. Uh, she goes into the house, and they go to ride. She goes to ride on the wooden horse, and he brings her a piece of toast that he is precisely spread in a rainbow with like what I assume are uh, uh, probably grape jelly strawberry jelly and mint jelly mm. which is a terrible combination for a piece of toast but uh and he tries to shove it in her face but she doesn't want it so he eats it by the way i so when i first was i just i skimmed through the movie to make sure everything was good yeah i skimmed to this part just with him behind her on the horse with a piece of toast yeah. shoving it in her face 
and I thought this is this movie opened with a very disturbing yes. rape scene. Yes, no, it was, but thankfully that was not the case. No, it was not the case. Thank it was God. Just, it was just a sweet, a sweet thing with the father and her daughter. But so, like for this movie, like for any movie, this was a lot of like on the nose rainbows. Oh, so on the nose. Even if this movie was called like Rainbows Everywhere, that would be a lot. <laughs> like he basically gets on the horse and he's like, "You want this?" And she's like, no, I want the real thing. And he's yeah. like, well, you never... You, you. She's like, I'm going to go out and get it for myself. Like you can't get to the end of the rainbow, can ya? And that's not what he sounds like at all. That's what he sounds like. Is it? He's Daniel Day-Lewis. <laughs> History's greatest monster and best rainbow sandwich maker. Yeah. So rainbow's fucking everywhere. And then and then we get the... Do we get the titles after the fact? Because I saw Jim Carter's name and wrote it down. Yeah, with the glasses stain. Yeah. Um, so I think... I think regardless of how kind of ridiculous this opening is, it kind of makes the point of this whole movie is that Ursula is a character who wants what she can't have. Or, or, wants or what may be unobtainable. Un, un, unobtainium? Yes, she wants unobtainium. She's okay. going to Pandora for unobtainium. Excellent. I like where this is going. That's why at the end of the movie she gets in that rocket and takes off. But we'll get there, folks. We're not there yet. Yeah, that was weird. <laughs> but we're not going in order, Jason. Yeah. <laughs> we could skip around a little bit. But I just want to say, yeah, she's she's going after um, something that is uh, unattainable. Um, and she doesn't want to be part of the status quo. She's like a lot of characters mm. that we talk about from movies on the BFI. Is that she doesn't want to be, she doesn't want to do what's expected that she should do. Well, she's a woman out of time. I mean, she's a mm-hmm. woman that clearly has a, a, a more defined independent lifestyle in mind than it is is commonly available to women in you know 1899 shall we hear a little bit of her uh rebellion yeah let's hear it she's a bit of a revolutionary this one i'll be taking my matriculation exam soon you'll be going out to work then hey don't be putting ideas in her head none of my daughters need go out to work i'm considering my field of action yes there's a fine crop of stockings ripe for mending perhaps they could be your field of action molly (laughs) What would you like to be? I don't know. A teacher, perhaps. I was never one for studying. They say all the brains of the army are in the engineers. I think that's why I joined them, to get the credit of other people's brains. I don't think brains matter. Oh, what does matter then? It matters whether people have courage or not. Courage for what? For everything. Like a soldier, you mean? I think that's another field of action you wouldn't like. Then she should join me in the Royal Engineers. You need mighty little courage to build a privy. <laughs> All right, I was wrong. He's an engineer, not an artilleryman. But you can't blame me. I saw him wearing... He had a red stripe on his pants. I thought that I thought that was the universal military symbol of an artilleryman. Certainly in the British Army. There could be some inaccuracies. Maybe. Because later he is wearing a yellow stripe. But I mean, let's let's... Let's check the IMDb, IMDb Goofs page. Uh, British British Army vets or aficionados, please let us know the proper <laughs> pants color to wear if you're an engineer. Um, and then you have this good, co- interesting contrast with the mother who, I mean, we even have a conversation later where she tells her like, oh, you know, it's it's a weird it's a weird relationship because the mother, played by Glenda Jackson, who played yeah. uh, Gudrun in yeah. Women in Love, her sister, so playing her own mother, yeah. um, she even tells her like... Uh, you know, I want men to want you for you, but at the same time, she's—I don't think she's super open to Ursula going off and like doing her own thing. No, but at the same time, she doesn't want her to end up kind of where she is. Yeah, there's like a uh, sort of a sadness behind Glenda Jackson's character, but then later on, of course, we also see that she, I think she really does love her husband. Mm. Oh, it's, yeah. it's, a, it's a very, it's a very interesting like 
like explored relationship. Yeah, like they're not they're not bad people really. They're just no. They're and people. even the dad who has very traditional values, he's very traditional values, and and has a few outbursts, but like is not a bad guy. He clearly mm-hmm. loves his daughters very much. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, the, she the mother is. It's like it's like she she wants her daughter to be able to do what she wants, but she's also quite aware of what the societal expectations are for a young lady, especially one that uh, of her age that should be trying to get married. Yeah, you know. she doesn't want her to go through the same thing, but she also doesn't want her to arrive at the same destination. I don't think. Yeah. So it's a weird. It's a it's yeah. a complex. It, it's between like like wanting her to do well, but also like like being stuck in her ways or being like a slave to the system as it is. You know, it's like right. well, no, but this is how it is. I mean, women, you know. Contrast, get married because because as the father says, without a uh, without a, or what is it uh, to to be a man you need a woman and to be a woman you need a man. Oh well, should we just play that yeah, now? Because that's that a great speech. Yeah, it's an interesting speech, it's and it kind of lays out his values. See, marriage, marriage, marriage is well, it's it's what we're made for. A man enjoys being a man. For what purpose was he made a man if not to enjoy? Now, that's a true word. Ah, and likewise, a woman enjoys being a woman. At least, we surmise that she does. Now, for a man to be a man, it takes a woman. And for a woman to be a woman, it takes a man. (laughs) And therefore, we have marriage. Don't run us off our legs, brother, for heaven's sake. Ah, there is no marriage in heaven. But on earth, there is marriage. Well, if there are no marriages in heaven, then where do the angels come from? (laughs) (laughs) Well, if there's got to be angels... Well, there's got to be, hasn't there? Yeah, there's got to be angels. Well, well, if there's got to be angels, and there's no such thing as a man or a woman amongst them, then it seems to me, as a married couple makes one angel. It's the drink. (laughs) Go on, go on, you go on. An angel has got to be more than a human being. So I say an angel is the soul of a man and a woman in one. No, wait, wait, they, they rise up, united in the judgment day as one angel. And that's some deep theological drinking discussion at a wedding. That uh, I've been to plenty of weddings and we've never gone down those holes. Uh, a man needs a woman to be a man, and a yep. woman needs a man to be a woman. I think debatable now. <laughs> now, now this, this has a little more resonance because once we talk about another aspect of the movie, uh, so... Uh, well, and there's a knowing glance there, yes, too. Yes, there's a knowing glance there. So, uh, in school... One of the, I guess, the, I don't know if she's the headmistress or if she's just her, her phys, uh, physical education teacher. She's definitely her teacher. Yeah, it's definitely, should definitely that. her teacher. That is, just make that very clear to the people. Winifred. Her, Winifred is... Uh, Ursula's teacher. Swim teacher, in yes. fact. And uh, gives gives all the students some looks while she's there. And after the swimming is over, she compliments her technique in the little race they had and, and says that she should come uh, hang out at the cottage and they can go swimming there together. Yeah. Yeah, just an innocent little thing. Mm. Uh, which which quickly turns into uh, exactly what you think it's going to be and they both get naked and frolic out to the water and have a little bit of a swim and then... I was giving you background music. They don't wrestle, which, I mean, I, I can understand why you might expect that, seeing two naked people in a Ken Russell movie. Ken Russell 
Ken Russell, uh, you know, he tricked us. He did. He faked us out. But instead, these ladies, they kind of hang out and, and be a bit sapphic with each other. To they use kiss. A very old word. word. They give uh, each other little kisses. A little kiss, a little touch here and there. It's quite lovely. They're both very attractive yet ladies. Yes. The only thing that I find slightly upsetting about it is, is that it is a teacher and her student, <laughs> and it's completely inappropriate. Yeah. Now, slightly upset. Uh, it's, it's, yeah. It, it, this was something that was probably more likely to be common in the old days and obviously more likely in a straight relationship. Well, but two, also, I suppose, in gay relationships too, especially because gay relationships had to be secret anyways. The two actors the two actors yes. are not far apart in age. No. The characters, I feel, are. Well, because uh, Ursula can't be more than about 17. Yeah, well, the actress movie. is 25. Oh, yeah, she's 25. Yeah. But, like, the yeah, she can't be more than about 17. And to be fair to uh, old times, I mean, Winifred could be anywhere from 24 to... 45, I guess, depending. <laughs> well, I think she's like close to the same age. Uh, the actor was close to the same age. Yeah. So she's probably supposed to be like 30 or something. Yeah, but it's yeah, it's clearly an inappropriate relationship. <laughs> like but in kid. the context of this movie and the book, this is sort of a... There, there's a mentor-mentee aspect of it, a very Greek kind of like old school, like, you know, the idea of like the Spartans that would like take a boy under their wings and in mm. addition to fucking them, they would also teach them stuff. It's kind of that. Mm. And she's helping form her worldview, her young, pliable mind, right? And talking about, like, men and making comments about men being, you know, a problem and not worth it and whatever. Clearly in the interest of promoting her own uh, sexual gratification. Yes. Um, she's but, also, I, I also thought at first she was a lesbian, so I was a little uh, surprised by the later revelation. No, she clearly has many tastes, many mm-hmm. tastes. Mm-hmm. Um, I gotta say, too, I'm gonna say this right now. I think this movie is fairly progressive in its portrayal of a lesbian character. Yeah, and I think that comes from Lawrence himself because his books were very controversial when they uh, came out. Uh, His most famous book, I believe, is called Lady Chatterley's Lover, and that was a Uh. book that he wrote in 1928 Mm -hmm. and uh, even in 1960 was facing like an obscenity trial in Britain for being too, just too much, (laughs) too much sex and stuff going on. But yeah, no, and and even even for 1989, this is quite the, uh, quite the story. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it, it, and, and then this all flows into her basically discovering herself, discovering her own sexuality, discovering what she wants to, trying to figure out what she wants to do with life and whether she wants to marry somebody. And then there's that horrifying, cruel thing, cruel scene we have with that guy, Mac. Yes. Again, we talked about it briefly, but Winifred basically meets up with him on a mountain, yeah. as you do. Yeah, and they see him, he's up <laughs> painting, and basically the, the conversation goes up, it's like, hey, how'd you like to make a few bucks? To do some modeling. And mm-hmm. I hear that. And of course, you know, cynical 2020 Jason is like, modeling? Come on now. You don't... <laughs> In a movie, if somebody asks to be a model, fucking run the other way because things are going to go bad. Yeah. And it seems innocent at first. She's just standing there nude while he's painting a kind of a, you know, classical style painting mm-hmm. uh, of her. But then it slowly turns into him indicating that he would like to beat the shit out of her for his own sexual gratification. And then, and then that he assumed that this was what was going to happen, that she was, you know, she was into this. But clearly, clearly in this scene, there's no indication that she's there for anything else but to make a few bucks, mm-hmm. right? And so he's going on doing whatever and he basically gets down to her ass. He's like, oh, and I would cry my salty tears into your wounds or whatever. And then she just turns around with her muff right in his face, mm-hmm. I have to assume. Yes. Stares down at him and just goes, I believe there was mention of money. And basically, like, pay me so I can fucking get out of here. And then he goes off and calls her a whore and this and that. Oh, he has a major freak out. Oh, yeah. And then you led me on and all all the things you would expect a man in that era who didn't get laid to say. You're a good girl, Estela. Are you not? My parents don't always think so. Parents seldom do. Do they smack your bottom? (laughs) 
Not anymore. Domestic bliss is a pleasure I've been denied. I'm childless and wifeless. I have to rely on others for my creature comforts. Free spirits untamed by convention. Jolly good sports like Fred. I feel you are such a kindred spirit, Ursula. You have within you the power to make me the happiest of men. At first, the idea of my chastising you may seem abhorrent. That is merely through association. And when you see the intense delight it affords me, you'll see it not as a violation, but an act of love. I will awaken in you a world of sensuality of which you never dreamed. And you will not find my gratitude ungenerous. The pain is nothing. Passes in a moment. And the marks soon fade. But should I draw blood, you will feel the salt of my tears in your precious wounds. I believe there was mention of a modelling fee. Get out! How dare you lead me on, you money-grubbing bitch! You disgusting little trollop! Ah, uh, and so she, but but thankfully she's able to just walk out, and he doesn't like try to kill her or anything. Yeah, and he never comes back. Yeah, and and Winifred seems obviously apologetic about that. She didn't think that she that does, was but like, she's also like mm, the experience. The experience, yes. You have to learn from the experience, and I'm sure she's been through some shit. If that's how her view, she's definitely been through some shit. And thusly, we see uh, Ursula go through some shit of her own because it seems like almost every man she meets has no interest in her but fucking her to some way. But fucking her. But fucking her. But fucking her. Well, we even Anton, who we think yeah. might be the one yeah. that she ends up, you know, being happy with, is more concerned about his backwards politics. Yeah. Um about how them the, boars, right? Yeah, oh yeah, about how the British should rule India and they're they're in bad shape and we need to teach them how to be, you know, clean and, 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 and everything. The, the blacks worship a darkness or worship death in the darkness, you know. Like. Oh yeah, it's messed up. And we have Ursula being like, What are you talking about, you yeah. racist Breitbart <laughs> prick? Like Yeah, she calls Breitbart out 30, 30 years ago. Yeah. Thirty years ago? Thirty years ago, but then like hundred and fifty years ago. <laughs> okay. Well, hundred years. Well, Breitbart years was ago. just in its infancy then. Yeah, back in the. It was. It was a big, big supporter of the Boer War. I was going to say. Then it was known as Ronald Reagan's administration. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, back in eighteen ninety nine. Um, <laughs> yes, when he was twenty five years old. What were we even talking about? I don't fuck's know. Sake. Uh, we were talking about this movie, The Rainbow, uh, and all oh, the, yeah, all Anton, the horrible. Anton. Yeah, Anton. Um, because yeah, because he has that, and he has no intention of letting her do anything. So. This is, yeah, we're going to be married, man. You don't have to work. What are you talking about, you silly girl? Yeah, so she's kind of on and off, uh, hot and cold about him at various times mm-hmm. uh, because he seems like he's the option if she wants to get married. Yeah, and he's the settle down. He's the settle down. This is, At least I have this going for me. But, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it, it, because he kisses her in the church or whatever. And actually, when, when, he, when she first goes to see Ursula, she tells him, or tells him, tells her, tells um, Winifred about... You know that they we we made love in the church. Is that a sin? And she's like, No, of course not. And then she's like, Well, what did you do? And she's like, Well, we kissed. And she goes, Oh, I thought you meant fucking. Yeah, like <laughs> that's the only time they say that yeah. in the movie, by the way. This <laughs> is the only time they say and fuck. It, and it's a perfect use of it because it's just so shocking. Just like, Oh shit, this is a period piece. But she just said fucking. Well, and it's crazy because it's not even the PG thirteen f bomb. It's yeah, because this movie's rated R. There's nudity all throughout yes. it. Um, but it just they just, just mm-hmm. decided to insert. 
A very modern term. <laughs> well, I mean, a term that was around, but just, you know, was, was not a term that was said in polite company ever. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we were fucking, and she's like, no, 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 we're just kissing. And you know, oh, okay, well, whatever. Speaking of fucking, how about that sex scene? Which one? <laughs> With Ursula and Anton. Yeah, well, that's what I was getting to, is because yeah. then, so later on, despite their, their kind of fun lesbian relationship, um, uh, Winifred is introduced to Uncle Henry, mm-hmm. who is a coal baron, uh, and... Is is a well, he's a coal guy, right? So this is a time when coal people are treated like shit. I mean, they they get a wage, but they, that's pretty much it. And uh, to the point where his driver almost runs over a coal miner who is carrying a funeral wreath for a coal miner that just died in the oh, fucking I mine. I didn't even notice. That. Yeah, no, it was like he's like he's like he's like coming through, and the guy like dives off the road, and then the wreath hits the road, and he runs the wreath over as he drives by. He's like, oh, that's one of the miners died today. It's just a miner, you know, just elite shit. Winifred is uh, is brought along on a trip to Uncle Henry's house yeah. and is introduced to Uncle Henry. And they seem to hit it off uh, really well. I don't know why. Hmm. He I took don't, a sty out of her eye. He took a sty out of her eye and then she gave him a, uh, a bit of a foot massage because he had some issues with his ankle. And mm-hmm. she was a certified osteopath, which makes sense. She's a physical education teacher. Not surprising. She'd also kind of be like a bone, bone person. Bone person is what they're yeah. called, yeah. Uh, 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 he says something Boner, like, I, 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 I should hope that you don't want anyone to see us uh, doing this and she says why would they think I have a fetish <laughs> but uh, yeah so th- and, and that the fact that they have this connection between the two of them and they clearly seem to like each other really pisses off um, Ursula and because she's also trying to maintain this sexual relationship mm. with Ursula as well which yeah, she wants absolutely. so hard she crawls right into bed with her naked I mean but it, it's clear that Ursula's under no um, illusion that the relationship is anything more than a sexual relationship, but she's also very young and and is still a little jealous. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and but so they 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 you know Winifred and Henry seem to hit it off, and they get to the point where they decide to get married. Yeah, she sticks around, hangs out with him for a while, and that's where the men and women speech came in. That's where the men and women speech came from, and but she invited um, Ursula to be her maid of honor mm-hmm. or primary. What do they call her? Primary bridesmaid. Primary bread giver. Something like that. Um, but at the wedding, so she sees Anton at the wedding and they, they, whatever, and then they go upstairs and they fuck. And, and in a very workmanlike manner, he fucks her like he is pushing a wheelbarrow. I, to the point where I thought it was going to be a rape scene. Yeah, it was got pretty, I mean, she, I guess she seemed into it throughout most of it. Oh yeah, yeah. They, they, Um, they clearly show that it is consensual, but. And props to the cinematographer on the cum scene where she's like. I mean, you don't see any, but I mean, like where she's like lying back with her head and she's, she's clearly orgasming and it's cutting between the moon. And then when she finishes, it cuts back and the moon's all like hazy. That was a nice piece. I like that. But the, but then they, they lay down beside each other and she says to him, I didn't say to him, begs him. She's like, kiss me, kiss me. And he won't even do that. No. He just, he just fucked her. He just came inside her and he won't even kiss her. She's not a prostitute, Anton. Yeah. We know that. She only poses for money. She doesn't fuck for money. Yeah. Yeah, you dickhead. So Jason's not a fan of Anthony. No, I was I was I was like, come on. You just she just gave herself to you and you can't even give her a little peck. Well, and that shows his his utter Yeah. Whatever. His like ennui as as it were. Because he he has no care, but then later like he wants to like he's like, Yes, we'll get married, but I think it's out of you know, necessity rather than anything else. He didn't treat her any different than he probably treated a South African harbor wench. And, and then, I mean, how long after that, when she says no, he just finds someone else and marries them. Mm. So, I mean, is it really that much, it's not that big of a deal to him. Yeah. The greatest thing is, I love how they both 
um, after the sex scene, I love how they both like slowly walking back into the into the wedding party, mm. just like completely like stone faced, separate, yeah. casual, and yeah, it's very just, serious. Nobody in the room has any idea of what's just happened. And Brendan, you know this about me. I'm a gross pervert. So when I saw her go into that room and she went up to her, her dad comes up to her and is like, "You want to have a dance?" I thought, "Don't hold her hand. Don't smell her fingers. Don't fucking get near her. You don't need this, Dad. You don't need to know what was going on." But clearly, he didn't notice. He didn't wow. notice. He must. He must be a smoker. He didn't notice. He's like, "You want to?" Rainbow sandwich. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Jason, I gotta tell you this. Yeah. I think Ken Russell listens to this podcast. You think so? He may be dead, but I know he listens to this podcast. So, you, so you think he specifically put some naked women in this movie to make up for the naked wrestling match in the last No, we movie? enjoyed the naked wrestling match. I mean, we did, but I just feel like this was like a bone to us. Be like, hey, you guys, you guys watch that. You got through it. Uh, uh, I mean, it was a good scene, but like now here, here's here's the good stuff. No, I, this is why I'm telling you that I think he listens to this podcast. Mm-hmm. I don't... I think... He took a little uh, a little ill will from my comments about mm. women in love because I wasn't a fan, mm. and he threw a little a little reference at us, a yeah. little shade. Yeah, and I'm wondering if you uh, recognize this. All right, let's see. Let's see what we got. Ladies and gentlemen, take your partners for the lancers, please. <laughs> <laughs> I heard that too, and I thought the same thing. <laughs> I was like, "Son of a bitch!" <laughs> it's like that's our thing, but then, but then it doesn't go into the Grenadiers March. It goes into a different song altogether. But it does that little flourish. It's that little flourish that Ken Russell went into a time machine, went back to this movie, re-edited it. Yep. So it changed the future slightly. I mean, re-editing this movie. To be fair, the effect lot. wasn't great in the butterfly effect of life. Yeah, if a butterfly flaps and swings too many times, it would have created like 18 different presidents. That's right. Um, and he came back, and lo and behold, we are referenced in this movie. And it's clearly us, because no one's associated with that flourish like us. Nobody. If you Nobody. go into the IMDb uh, movie connections yeah. section, it says in quotes, because we're a TV show, yeah. sort of, uh, for, for screen and country, episode, Women in Love. That's right. That's right. So you, can, you can check it out, and you can... Uh, Prove it to yourself by looking it up. But don't bother, because you don't have that kind of time. We're right. And you won't find this movie. No, it's not out there. It's not available. We had to call a guy. Ken Russell. That's right. And he's dead, so it was extra difficult. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, there's a whole big section we haven't really talked about yet. And that's when Ursula wants to be a teacher. Yes. Because she goes to school. Because that's where we meet our old friend. Jim Cotta. And if we remember Women in Love, like we said, do see her teaching. Is, is, is Hold on. It sounded like I said Jim Cotta. We did not meet the movie Jim Cotta. No. <laughs> there was no pommel horses anywhere to be seen in this no movie. No Kurt Thomas in this movie at all. <laughs> uh, yeah, so... We're, yes, we do see her teaching in uh, the film Women in Love, which is what... Yeah, I thought about that. And I was like, oh, it's the precursor to that. I was expecting at the end of the movie, like, Alan Bates to walk in and be like... Does anybody want any oysters? <laughs> yeah. Or just or just one of those like things that pe- movies do now when they think they're so clever when they're a prequel. They have just someone show up from the movie you know and yeah. they're like, hello. Just like, yeah, just like tips his hat on the street walking by. Or that horrible moment in X-Men Origins Wolverine when young Patrick Stewart shows up and his face is CGI'd as fuck. Mm. It was before they knew how to do the de-aging stuff. And he looks... Like a scary child. But didn't they do that in X-Men 3 first? Because they did it with him and Ian McKellen. They didn't do it like... They didn't de-age them really that much. No, though. no. They just smoothed them up a bit. A little made bit. Made them look very plasticky. Look, yeah, they didn't look too, too bad. No. But in Origins Wolverine, it is garbage. Um, but yeah, I wanted something like that to happen. <laughs> just de-age Oliver Reed with 1989 technology. Wait, is that the one where he goes to Samurai Japan? No, that's The Wolverine. Oh, okay. Yeah. You're talking about the one with Ryan Reynolds. 
Yeah, barely. Yeah, I don't remember. The one where he plays one. Deadpool that doesn't talk. Yeah, yeah. yeah the, the, merc, the merc with no mouth. That's famously what he's known as. Deadpool's known for his moments of complete silence. Yeah. So the school. Jim Carter. Jim Carter is like the, the head. principal guy. Head teacher of. guy. Yeah. Super. He's like a principal, basically, because he doesn't teach any classes. But he does constantly sit in the other room, making it very difficult for Ursula to teach. Yeah, to establish any sort of authority because he keeps interrupting and, mm-hmm. and uh, beating children as necessary. Mm-hmm. Um, also, want to point out, did you notice what I love about this movie, and you rarely see it in movies like this, but she's teaching a bunch of poor kids, and they all look like fucking grubby poor kids. Like, they've got shit on their faces, they're dirty, they're like wearing shabby clothes. Oh, they like, got like scars yeah, on their scabs mouth. And and like, yeah, scabs and like diseases and shit that you probably at that time kids would have and stuff. You know, mm-hmm. like, so props to them for going all out. Yeah, I feel like Ken Russell's not a guy who would str- who strays away from stuff yeah. like this. Yeah. Like, as much as I didn't care for the movie we talked about of his last time, yeah. um, I feel like he's kind of a fearless director. So let's point out too, Jim Carter establishes his creepiness as a character Sorry, from all moment can, one. All I can think of every time we say that now is Jim Carter. Jim Carter. <laughs> Jim Carter doing Jim Carter. Jimmy Boy says, uh, so he establishes his creepiness right out of the gate because he asks uh, Ursula to go get up on a ladder and get something off the top shelf, some workbooks. Yeah. And of course, it's just checking her ass out the whole time. Then she drops some books and she bends right over and he's staring at her and she fucking catches him. I, Jason, you can be my witness. I literally wrote here, Jim Carter plays a huge purpose. Yes, yes. <laughs> like, like like many of the men in this movie. Um, and that is uh, uh, later established when he corners her in the washroom after she, uh, after her hand had been hit with a, um, a slingshot by that kid, Rich. Mm-hmm. Was his name Rich or Rich, Dick? Or? Yeah, the one that, he was a dick. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, after she had done him a solid and let him go home early and so he didn't have to finish doing all the writings on the board, she let him go and that's how she pays him, or how he pays her back. He fucking yeah. hits her with a slingshot. So she goes into the bathroom to clean her hand up and Jim Carter comes in and he's like, oh, what's wrong with you? And you, oh, we'll fix you up. And then he basically starts telling her like, we could, you know, your life here can be easy or your life here can be hard. And oh, there are pulls- different ways that we could do this. And He's a regular Weinstein. Yeah, he's total, he's- like he's just, just total slime bag. Like, yeah, you know, these pictures will start looking up for you if you can uh, do me some favors. Yeah. That's that's my Harvey Weinstein impression. And, and yet again, she is uh, reminded how shitty men can be, and uh, it adds to her uh, pool of experience, mm-hmm. certainly, that uh, Winifred was talking about. A swimming pool of experience. Yeah, so he's he's not a real that's nice guy. Uh, and he, you know, he, of course he has to beat the children, uh, but she really does take that up herself later on because she's having trouble establishing authority in the class. She's a young lady. These are a bunch of kids. They're rowdy. They're poor. Oh, you can't... Rowdy poor kids. Wow. Um, yeah, this is actually one of the best scenes in the movie, I think, mm. is when she... Because it's such a symbolic moment because yeah. we just know that Jim Carter has his cane. Yes. And he's like, my cane rules the school. This rules the school. And she literally is so frustrated with one child that she takes his cane yeah. and she whips the kid well, until it breaks. Yes, but let's back up a sec because this is the same kid, Rich. He's in class. He's being a pain. He won't do what he's told, so she basically full-on grabs him and hauls him up to the front of the classroom, mm-hmm. and then he proceeds to start kicking her. And so oh. he's kicking her in the shins full-on and yeah, knocking yeah, yeah. him down. And so she fucking lays hands on him, drags his ass into the next room, and basically fucking wrestles him down onto the floor, grabs the cane, and just starts whipping him like 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 he like he was in the navy or something like and just getting flogged and just whack 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 it's such a good symbol it's such a good symbolic moment though because she literally breaks the cane yeah. and it's like 
Jim Carter's like power is broken. Yeah, like he has no authority over her because he comes in and he's like, "What's going on here?" And then she sees what she's done and he like looks in the cane in amazement. I think he at that moment games like a modicum of respect for her because she's like, "She fucking did it, whole oh, fuck." You well, know? yeah, he becomes very meek after yeah, that because yeah. she even looks at him after at one point and says, "I know we're not going to be interrupted. We're going to get those pens sent right away." Because he says yes, he goes on a rant yes. about missing pens. That's why this whole started up yeah, because yeah, of the, yeah. the pens, the nineteen pens for twenty four people, you know. But can't uh, have that. So yeah, she fucking snaps and 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 kind of goes through that. But she does in that course of that then establish her authority as not to be fucked with. <laughs> but then because of that, she gets self. She gets very upset with herself and quits. Yeah. So there's a double yeah. side. Yeah, it's a shame. She was uh, well on her way to being a, a, I, a terrible I, teacher. <laughs> I, do, I do wish that uh, my school had that marching routine that they yes, go through. That would have been fun. They uh, they all just slowly march to class one with, by with, one. While while the assistant headmistress plays the piano. Yes, I I, I do uh, I, I do wish we did that. I know. Well, you know what? When we have kids, Brendan, we will tell the school. You and I. That. Yeah, that's the plan. Wait, what, wait, what? Do we have to fill out any papers? Or don't worry about it. I got I got to take care of babies coming. Wait, what's this, Jason? Uh, it's just it's just a it's a printout of a map quest to tell us where to go to pick up the baby. Jason, why are there seven application forms? Look, just don't worry about it. I got it covered, baby. Do you, do you mean assign this or no? Don't. Uh, in fact, I, pr- I prefer you didn't even touch it because we don't want your DNA on there. Thank okay, you. this doesn't seem shady. Not at all. I wanted to mention about the about Winifred. Um, she says a line that I really like at one point, which is, "When the lion in you lays down with the lamb in you, you will know peace." That's a that's legitimately a great line yeah. because it's it's this argument about like you want something so different than what people want of you, but but, but the lamb in you is like to just accept mm-hmm. what's there, and you kind of have to find this middle ground. Yeah, and I also read it as like saying that that you know you have to be a whole person. Like you have, you, that, have, yeah. you have different sides. Yeah. You have, you have aggressive, you have passive. Those things have to work in concert. If you're going to be a, a peace, a person at peace with yourself. Yeah. You can't just be a lion and you can't just be a lamb. No. Some of the it's, stuff in this movie does hit you over the head. Yeah. This, but th- this is all laid out very well in the episode, uh, uh, the enemy within of star Trek, the original series oh where Captain Kirk goes through a transporter accident and he's split into two. And one of them is super crazy and mean and says things like, I'm Captain Kirk. And then the other one is like, Oh, I'm so, I'm so, confused i don't know whether what to do to save the people and it makes me so sad that i cry mm-hmm. that episode explains that line okay there you go your your weekly star trek lesson absolutely um but yeah winifred uh, what did i was going to say about her well, you said the line that, that you i said liked. the line um oh it, it, when she when he when she asked her is, is making love in church sinful she goes no but it's uncomfortable with such narrow pews yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that's when she finds out they were just kissing yeah it's just kissing what do you think? Okay, so there's a scene that really stands out to me, and I don't know if it's a good, a good or a bad scene. Um, it, it's memorable, mm-hmm. but it's near the end of the film, um, and I think you know what I'm going to talk about. But uh, Ursula is walking outside. Mm-hmm. She comes upon a horse. Yes, and a number of horses. Well, she's on her bike. Yeah, she's on her bike. She comes upon a number of horses, and then a bunch of miners who, like, I think they try to attempt to assault her. Yeah, it seemed that seemed to be the general vibe of what was going on. Because they, they, they see her, she falls off the bike and runs into the forest and is scared of the horses. Because they're big Clydesdales, they're big mm-hmm. mine horses. Uh, big black ones, beautiful horses. But uh, very scary when you see them, in, especially when they're running at you Jason, down the road. why are you jerking off right now? Look, just don't worry about it. Look, just let me do what I gotta do to get through this podcast, or we're gonna be here till 10 o'clock. Okay. So, she runs off into the woods, and then she... It, 
basically the miners see her doing this and they start laughing at her and then she like runs off and they kind of try to chase her and then she has to like run across the river to get away from them so I don't know if they actually were going to do something terrible to her, but it's just, yeah, it's a weird scene. But but again, reinforcing her, just like everybody seems to be, like, no, she can't trust anybody. Except maybe her parents, yeah. honestly, and her sister. Yeah, and it's it's like, she, they're the only people she can trust, but they're also, it, it's hard for them to let her go. And she can't yeah. she can't live her life, but she also can't trust anybody but them. It's it's a, She's in a rough position, is what I'm saying. Yes. Well, G- Gudrun... Um, doesn't really have much of a part in this movie. No. She's kind of just, she's there. She's there she, to be the annoying sister occasionally. Yeah. I thought she was kind of like a nice, you know, decently charming child yeah, actor. she's fine. Yeah, so this scene though reminds me of that scene in, in Women in Love with the weird one with like the buffalo and stuff. Yeah. You know what I'm talking about? Yes, where they're, yes, like, where they're the dancing field, and shit. And they're just like dancing <laughs> yeah. and I'm like, the fuck is this? So I don't know, I don't know. So if, maybe, that, maybe by then she'd gotten over her fear of, uh, of uh, livestock. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, she moved on from horses to buffalo. That's right. It's like yeah. she really loves buffalo, but horses can fuck off. <laughs> Although, wait, I think it's Glenda Jackson. I think it's Gudrun that dances with them. Right. Good point. Yeah. So the, that's why she danced yeah, with them. Yeah, yeah. She loves so livestock. Ursula was like, no, thank you. Last time I did, did that, a bunch of miners came out and tried to attack me. Yeah, not happening. So I think it, what I mean is just Ken Russell, I think he really likes animal imagery. And with weird, like, slow music, sweeping, weird mm. camera shots... He's a weird dude. Yeah. Um, there was also a scene that I was very uh, uncomfortable with, where they picked up a rabbit, and I'm pretty sure he just like slapped it. No, no, he was he was giving it a he was giving it a Captain Kirk style chop to the back of the neck, oh. trying to like just break its neck and kill it, which is a, seem, I mean seems like a convenient but but also um, difficult way to go about killing a rabbit. And also, I'm watching it thinking like that didn't look fake. Mm. <sighs> well, but they they cut away before I think he actually hit the rabbit, so maybe he was just like. Just yeah. bunking the rabbit. You don't think it's a Milo and Otis situation? I hope not. Yeah. I hope Ken Russell wouldn't be responsible for that sort of thing. Uh, remember when she fucked that lettuce up? Fuck. Yeah. <laughs> She's mad, mad about what's going on. And, and so she goes and just wrecks the lettuce in the garden. Yeah, Ursula doesn't like, is not happy. So she just fucking kicks all this lettuce Her uncle's place. lettuce. She wrecks it. Her uncle's lettuce. Um... I do, I do, I did write down that I, I'd like to imagine if that dream scene at the end was uh, scored to Benny Hill music, where they're all running around. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, very slowly. Which, you know what, I appreciate any movie that, that, that caps it off with a nice uh, nude frolicking scene. There's not enough of that in today's cinema. A lot of nudity. A lot of nudity. You imagine if the last Star Trek Next Generation movie had ended with fucking Patrick Stewart running around naked? And then he meets up with Ian McKellen? Yeah. And they finally do what we've been waiting for. Play checkers. Yeah, I know. It's about time. I want to see how they match up in a checker match. Yeah. Maybe they could fuck, too. Hmm. Rather see checkers? I don't know if Ian McKellen's into it. I feel like he likes him young. <laughs> no, legal. Legal, but... Oh, okay. Fair enough. He's very old and famous. He can get whatever a young I think he, has, he likes. I think, I think his husband is close to the same age as him. Is he? I don't know if he's married. Is he? Yes, to uh, Steven Spielberg. Hold on. Hey, Siri. <laughs> Who's Ian McKellen married to? Okay, I found this on the web for what is the McCallum married to. Fuck you, out. Siri. Never mind. I'm sure he's very happy. <laughs> Thank you, Siri. Okay. But yeah, this movie's really weird. And Ken Russell's really weird. Um, 
There is some, there is some interesting uh, there's some interesting camera work. I, I did like one particularly dynamic shot of Ursula and Anton on a swing. Yes, that yes, that is a nice shot. There, I, I noticed that. There um, is some there is some just random little crazy scenes like that. Well, it was weird how how they took four separate shots of her going back on the swing and then put them in sequence. So it was just like swing, 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 swing. You can't see what I'm doing with my hands, but I'm sure you can hear it in my voice. <laughs> Why don't we just play a little bit of the ending here? Okay. Since, you know, we're kind of round the bend here. Let's do it. Let's play the ending. This is Ursula in her uh, in her bedroom. Uh, she just found, finds out that Anton is getting married to another woman. Mm-hmm. And she's very upset. Her father comes in and has a little talk with her. This is just the last few seconds of the, of the film. I'm, uh, I'm in town today. Thought I might drop in your old school. Whatever for? Well... Now that you... Well, now that you're... Now that I'm an old maid, go on. Nonsense, let me finish. Now that you're not rushing off to the other side of the world... Or even the other side of London. I was just going to say that... This has always been... And it always will be your home. Hey, look. It's a rainbow. And then, of course, we bookend the movie. Yeah, and, and the then she like just basically jumps out of bed, packs all her shit, and runs out after the rainbow. And yeah, and she sees herself as a child. So I want to talk about. Can we talk? We didn't talk about enough enough about Sammy Davis. Yes, and I think she's great in this movie. I, she's, I really like her. Yeah, and she does a thing that, like, I think, um, sort of akin to what Sally Hawkins did in Happy Go Lucky, because Sally Hawkins, much like uh, both both actresses, take characters that it would be very easy to make not likable. Mm-hmm. Like, you, you could easily watch this movie and be like, she's a spoiled brat. Oh, yeah, absolutely. She's whiny, she's pissy and moany. Kind of like how it kind of makes Gone with the Wind a little weird for me to watch. Mm. Um, I, I kind of, I don't know if I'm supposed to be rooting for Scarlett O'Hara's downfall, but I do. <laughs> she's a whiny bitch about she's, it. Yeah, she's not, she's not a... Pl- I mean, I guess I don't know. That, that's a long story. I think yeah. Gone with the Wind kind of is on the side of that too. So it's it's a complicated issue. We'll, we'll save that for our Civil War podcast. <laughs> yes, for screen and divided country. Um, um, uh, March to the Sea is what I would call it after Sherman's March to the Sea, where he burned everything from March to the sea and country. <laughs> But yeah, um, yeah, I think both actors do the same, do a similar thing. Taking a character, yeah, that could. It's like Sally Hawkins. We I remember when we talked about Happy Go Lucky. She takes a character that could easily be annoying. Oh yeah, because she is. Because yeah, she's a person that it would be a lot to take in. But yeah, but through her performance, makes her ultimately empathetic and sympathetic. So and genuine, likeable. genuine, yes. genuine. Yeah, and she's yeah. Sammy Davis, this actress, is really good. Um, I want to point out Amanda Donahoe too. As Winifred, I think she's so like warm and mm. funny and real. Like I think the, the but still has that level of creep to her that I don't know if it's intentional or not. But uh, but uh, that's what I got from it. But yeah, she's wonderful and she's very attractive. Yeah. Oh yeah. The 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 actress is wonderful. It, it, I think everybody in this movie is pretty solid across the board. Mm. Um, They're all pretty good I, looking. I, Paul Paul McGann, mm. uh, aka Doctor Who, is very good as the father. Glenda Jackson like has not a lot of screen time, but she kind of kills it in this oh, movie. Yeah. She's great. She's so wonderful. Jason. What I'm saying yeah. is I liked this movie. Yeah. I liked this movie a lot more than Women in Love. Yeah, I'm, I'm right there with you, brother. Uh, even though I liked Women in Love more than you did, yeah, the, I liked this movie way better. I think this movie was more clear, 
to me on what it was about, like where it was this story of Ursula trying to reconcile herself with her sexuality and her desire in life and her, her where she wants to go. Whereas I felt Women in Love, like it had a lot of those ideas, but it didn't feel like it was a consistent like story through line. Like it felt like shit just kind of happened mm-hmm. and that was that. It didn't feel like there was any real like pivot point, I suppose, in the way Ursula is the pivot point of this film. I like the words pivot point. Thank you. I don't, uh, know, if that, I don't know if that's a film term. Maybe it is. Maybe I made it up. I don't know. Yeah, no, I just feel like, and, it, and it's weird because if you look at the, I mean, if you look at the critics, this movie, I mean, people liked it. Yeah. They, they didn't go gaga over it. But was anybody outside of Ken Russell really clamoring for a prequel to Women in Love in 1989? <laughs> I mean, Women in Love got a lot of got a lot of love. Yeah, as, yeah. As, 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 uh, I mean, it is on the list. Yeah, I mean, it's on the list. It got a lot of love. It's a big, it's a big landmark film for you know British cinema. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know. This one was less well received and. I, I mean, I think we might be in the minority, but honestly, I think this, yeah, I think this one's better. Yeah, better movie. I mean, no, the performances in Women in Love are great, and the performances in this one are great. Sure. Uh, I even liked, I would say, I even liked how this movie looked a little better. I just found yeah. it a little more colorful, a little nicely shot. I suppose 20 years helps uh, with I film if, technology, but... I wonder if adding Vivian Russell helped to help yeah. smooth out the edges. Yeah, maybe. Maybe it made it more relatable, more yeah. real. For, it, actually have a woman writing a woman's dialogue. Crazy, right? Yeah. Because, <laughs> um, yeah, the female characters feel real. Like, they feel more genuine overall in this yeah. movie. And I'd say this 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 movie, hey, Jason, this movie passes the Bechdel test. Yeah, yeah. Which is, women have conversations and they don't necessarily discuss men. Which is weird to see, especially in a, in a movie that is set in this period. Like, mm-hmm. Where that was, especially if you were like a, a middle or upper class girl, like that was what your life was about. Is gonna the man you were gonna find and the man you're gonna marry and settle down with and have tons of babies with. I think this and Sense and Sensibility may be the only two movies on the past mm. the Bechtel test. And it's sense a bit sensibility. It's it's tough because there are a lot of scenes where women are talking to each other about men. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's, it's so much of what those Austin books are. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so two out of I don't know fifty eight so far. Yeah. So yeah, so that's a big surprise to me because, like I said at the beginning of this movie, when I saw the first five minutes of it, I thought this is going to be a fucking, uh, this is going to be a slog. I'm going to have to put my head down and just climb through the mud and get through this fucking thing. Kind of like how, like you said, my left foot kind of threw you for a yeah. little bit first, and then you're like, oh, this movie's good. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you're like this fucking starting with a literal left yeah. foot. It's like oh, we have a little on the nose here, boys, <laughs> or on the toe in that case. Oh, Ooh. on the toes. A little no, on no, toes. just on the one, just on the one big one. All right, Jason, there's no need to show up in front of people. <laughs> yeah, so Jason, any any other final thoughts you have about uh, the rainbow? Wait, we should we should say, you know what? I say, in terms of film quality, yes, maybe not influence, no. maybe not you know, uh, the legacy of the movie. I say replace it. I say replace it. Yeah, replace it, replace women in love with this movie. Yeah, sure. I mean, if, if Women in Love can be on the list, there's no reason why this can't be. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I, as much as I like Oliver Reed and Alan Bates, that movie just... You know, Oliver Reed already has another movie on this list. That's true, Gladiator. Yeah. <laughs> in 2000. <laughs> yeah. It was uh, put on the 1999 list. It was, it, was, it, was a, it was a late edition. They saw the dailies and they were like, put it on there. <laughs> it's got to be on here. It's good to go. <laughs> Russell Crowe's a Brit, right? Yeah, he's close enough. Sure, absolutely. Um, no, um, uh, no, he's, he's also in uh, the, uh, Oliver. Oliver Reed is a oh, yes. Not playing the title role, surprisingly. surprisingly. 
I mean, he's a good actor. I don't know if he could have played a child, though. <laughs> that would be great. <laughs> be like that. You do it like that Gary Oldman movie that never came out, where they're midgets, but they're or sorry, little people, but they're they got shoes on their knees, like dwarf. What do you mean that never came out? I've seen it. Oh, did it actually come out? Tiptoes. Yeah, did it actually come out? Oh, some form? oh, Jason. I didn't realize it actually got released. I'd oh, seen the trailer. My sweet, lovable <laughs> Jason. I have a movie to show you. Oh, wow. <laughs> Matthew McConaughey's. Uh, iconic line from that film I'm a dwarf oh well I mean if, if he'd have said it in a Scottish accent I maybe would have been on board this but... is a movie you must watch oh well then I know what I have to do I well suppose. Jason and I are going to go watch Tiptoes woohoo um, but yeah no so any, anything else you want to say about this movie just that uh, yeah really surprised um, I like when we watch these side movies that you know we expect to be mediocre at best or, mm-hmm. or just uh, Dr. Zhivago remake at worst <sighs> <laughs> And this was neither. This this was entertaining, and it was a good period piece, and it was a, an interesting exploration of sexuality. I mean, you can't go wrong. This was a solid, uh, solid film, and I'd recommend it. You watch it, and then if you want to watch Women in Love as well afterwards, yeah, go for that. No, if you feel like it, if you want to see Ollie Reed uh, flopping his dick around, yeah, check just that watch shit the out. watch the wrestling scene. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, no, I, I'm shocked. Oh, I one one other thing I just wanted to point out. I, I got a real Alan Bates vibe from Winifred when she was like talking about like when they're laying there and she's rubbing her and talking about like sex and stuff and yeah. love and men. It just it gave me a real Alan Bates vibe, but like, not as creepy. Little, not quite as creepy, um, but uh, yeah, it was uh, it was getting there. Yeah, <laughs> what did, what did he talk about? And we were like, how to eat a it was it to eat oysters or something, a date or something like a date. that. Date. Well, and a then, fig. And then how I, to eat a fig? Oh wait, and then I also what I also thought of again was the the scene from Spartacus. The some men like oysters or you know like the not voiced by or voiced by Anthony Hopkins doing an impression. Yes, because that scene I think that was added back in when they did the restored cut and they had lost the audio, which I did not. I did not know when I when I heard, watched the movie and mm. I did not notice it. He can do that good of a Lawrence Olivier impersonation. So good. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, this is not the Lawrence Lawrence of Olivier. This is not the Lawrence Olivier podcast, Jason. Not anymore. Oh shit. Yeah, I don't think he's anything else. Yeah. So yeah, the rainbow. We both liked it. Yeah. I am shocked. I yeah. thought this was going to be the one that I was going to hate the most. Blown away that we both liked it. But uh, now we um, we'll see if next week's movie <laughs> turns out. So Should be well. interesting. Next week's movie is, is a sequel to, to a movie, movie you love. That we both love, yeah. but you have a very huge love for. Absolutely. One uh, your favorite movie. Uh, it's up there. I don't know if I would say it's my favorite movie ever, but it's it's up there. It, well, because my my favorite three, I always say, are Star Trek II: The Wrath of Khan. Once Upon a Time in the West and Fight Club. Fight Club. And but Lawrence Arabia could easily be in the four or five slot. And Bucky Larson, Born to be a Star. Oh, yes, obviously. How can you not like that? Between that and a Joe Dirt du- fucking double feature? Come on. <laughs> I thought Joe Dirt double feature was the name of the sequel for a second. <laughs> it would, you know what? There's every no reason why it probably couldn't have been. Well, Jason, the this is the sequel to a film that you love, that we both love. Number three on the list, Lawrence of Arabia. And of course, had a sequel. Had a sequel, and actually, there was just an article that came out uh, that actually linked to on the Twitter page um, <laughs> that shows uh, that, sh- that basically it's called "Lawrence of Arabia had a sequel and none of you knew about it." Nope. And I literally did not know it existed until I happened to see it on IMDb one day. I think when we were doing um, uh, English Patient, I was looking up Ray Fines and saw that he was in Lawrence after Arabia. Lawrence after Arabia is yeah. the name of the game. It's a TV movie from 1992. 
and we are going to talk about it. And don't yeah. even bother seeking this one out. You will not find it. Wow. It was very difficult. Yeah. Um, and I am interested, though, for two things. One, I really, I, despite my and yours dislike of the English patient, mm-hmm. I do like Ra- Ray Fiennes a lot. He's I want a him very to, good actor. I want him to redeem himself. I want him to redeem himself. Uh, with this TV movie. Uh, <laughs> but what, what is even more interesting to me is that uh, Faisal in this movie is played by... Uh, Someone of color? Siddig El-Fadil, a.k.a. Alexander Siddig, a.k.a. Dr. Julian Bashir, Chief Medical Officer of Deep Space Nine. <sighs> so I'm down for some more Star Trek shit. And is it, it's a person... He's a, he's a man of color. Yeah, well, he is a Siddig El-Fadil. Yeah, he's, he's yeah. a... Uh, I don't know where he's from originally. I don't want to presume. But closer... But now I believe he is from a place that the British ran because he has a very nice British accent he speaks in. But uh, yeah, so Alexander Siddig, I'm interested to see what uh, he's going on. Both uh, both actors who play that character first name starts with A, yeah. and almost the same Alex yeah, and yeah. Alec. That's that, that's why they cast him, even yeah. though I don't think he had changed his name at that point. <laughs> um, so yeah, we will uh, we will talk about Lawrence of Arabia. No, Lawrence after Arabia. We've already sorry. talked about Lawrence of Arabia. Lawrence of Arabia. I love that movie, but I don't want to watch a four-hour movie again if I well, don't. Well, don't have worry, to. Jason, because this movie's only about an hour and forty-two minutes Fucking long. Fucking right, and it probably has commercial breaks. I mean, I'm sure they're edited. Now acts. you got it with the original commercials, I assume. I, yeah, I can only hope. All right, good. Um, I don't believe so, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, we're gonna watch that movie. And we're gonna talk all about it on another episode of. And now. For something completely similar. This is the RBI music baseball. RBI baseball music. But until then, you can find us on Facebook. Search for us. You can find us on Twitter at BFI underscore pod. You can find us on all the podcatchers. Fourscreenandcountry.podbean.com. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, all that good stuff. Al Jazeera Network, After Dark. Absolutely. Check us out on Deutschwelle in the middle of the night. Uh, we're, we're right after Blue Nui and before the 5 a.m. showing of Freakazoid. Um, and check, Jason, check me out on Twitter. I'm doing it this time. Oh, the okay. whole thing. Oh, check me out on Twitter Jesus. at Jason D. McLeod. That's M-A-C-L-E-O-D. And you'll see occasional retweets from funny people and me occasionally posting something. Like, uh, non-problematic person Graham Lineham. Yeah, sure. I'll, I'll tweet, retweet him all day. Come, come for me, people of all genders. Oh, that's a very progressive uh, little. Thank you. Uh, slam at Graham Lineham. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so yeah. So that being said, Jason, I'm just gonna say to you, God save the queen. God save the screen. For screening country, I'm Brendan and I'm Jason. It's time to go back to Arabia, Brendan. Somewhere over the rainbow. Yeah, it's just just over the rainbow. We're going back to Arabia. Damascus. 1919. Good. See you there. I am woman, hear me roar In numbers too big to ignore And I know too much to go back and pretend Cause I've heard it all before And I've been down there on the floor No one's ever gonna keep me
Hey everyone, it's Chris and Mike from The Recasting Couch, the podcast where we take our favorite movies and discuss what they would be like with new actors in all the lead roles. Hey Mike, tell them where they can find us on social media. You can find our website at therecastingcouch.com or on Twitter at RecastingPod. And of course, you can listen to us on iTunes, Stitcher, Android, or anywhere else you find your favorite podcasts. Yeah, if there's a service that's not posting our pod, you let us know and we will rectify that immediately. Damn right. (laughs) Thanks for listening, everybody. It's time, let's check our cue, baby. Pair it with a couple brews, baby. We love your movies. We love the bad ones, too. So we watch them all and pass their lessons on to you. Oh, yeah. Everything I learned from movies helps to make life a little bit groovy. With a one last plot holes and gratuitous boobies. It's time to get busy with your friend Steven Izzy at eilfm.podbean.com